I am Morgan, aka Bond, and this is a podcast talking about the news, reviews, and speculation around video games on all platforms and in almost any genre. This week, we will talk about Elden Ring, Bioware updates, Steam Deck, Destiny 2's new DLC, and more. Please take a moment to subscribe to and rate the podcast as well as share it on social social media and with your friends and your grandma. If your platform allows reviews, please leave one for the show. That's especially for iTunes and Spotify. If you are on YouTube, please leave a comment. If you have thoughts on the show, a question for me to discuss next week or to just help me out with the algorithm. If you are on Discord, please join the show's channel. Link is down in the description so we can talk about games, this podcast, sports, and anything else you fancy. Last but not least, please consider contributing to my 2022 Extra Life campaign by clicking on the link in the description or comments below. Let's get into it. Some gaming news. First story is Elden Ring's release and reception. Uh, Well, I think it's going okay. The open critic score is 96 and the Metacritic score is 95. Um, Players and reviewers are talking positively about how fun the gameplay is, how great the exploration is in the open world, the challenge and how the open world feels great because it doesn't guide you and there's secrets all over the place. Some downsides that I've seen is that it isn't very approachable for new players. Still, this is typical for from software, from soft games. Uh, some issues with frame rate on PC and some complaints about the clunkiness of the co-op system. So my thoughts on it is the Elden Ring. Um, all of these uh, these Souls games are just not my my thing. I. I prefer a good story that isn't overly challenging. I I will never pretend to be some hardcore gamer. Um, Basically, the two things I like to play are uh, easy story games that tell good stories or PvP. And, uh, you know, these games don't really provide that. I know that they have PvP, but um, I've also found over the years I'm not huge into games that have like melee based, like medieval high fantasy setting games. So like, I don't like the Witcher three. I'm a psychopath. I know. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in a, a, a lot of games that just are really focused on that. And, um, knowing that about myself, it's allowing me to see all of these insanely good reviews for what is, I mean, let's be straight up, probably going to be game of the year. And for me to be like, I'm really happy for those people and good for you but i'll probably pass it is a situation where i wish that they did like a couple hour trial because if the combat felt something like i would enjoy then i would maybe be willing to try it um but i'm just kind of weird with melee combat games so um so for me personally i'm not super interested here um but just for gaming to have a to have a third party game that's on, you know, PlayStation and Xbox, um, 
score this well in what's really a fairly niche genre. I mean, I know these Souls games sell pretty well, all things considered, but, you know, this this isn't Call of Duty. This isn't, you know, that that kind of thing. And so for them to do as well as they do and to do this well, to score this highly um, is, is really impressive. Um, you know, there is a small part of you that feels bad for like, um, you know, like Horizon Forbidden West fans and stuff like that, because they just came off a bunch of pretty good reviews um, that weren't quite this good. And so, you know, Horizon almost had that like that flash of fame. But now, you know, Elden Ring is the new hotness and that's where we're at. Um, for me, I think for those two games are two games I'm not personally super interested in. So my like third party perspective is that it seems like Forbidden West took what the first game did and improved it but maybe didn't like break new ground in any particular way where now you know like like this elden ring it is taking the the soul's formula that we're very familiar with but it it puts it into an open world and that could have been you know bad you know they they could have made a very bland and boring open world that still did the dungeons and castles and stuff really well that people that they've always done well but instead they didn't do that they 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 made what a lot of people are saying is the best open world game like this that's out there and it's because um, it seems like a big part of it is that people are enjoying that it's not like an ubisoft game or even like horizon where it doesn't just have a bunch of markers all over a map and tells you exactly what to do and where. Um, there's no like quest log in Elden Ring. There's, you know, you, you don't know what to do um, beyond some fairly basic instructions from NPCs and things like that. So um, I, I think that, that that part of the challenge is is part of why people are enjoying it so much. And I I think that maybe, you know, Ubisoft and other games making these um these open world type games could really learn a lesson here and it really couldn't hurt them to realize that hey maybe you know the more hand holding you do the worse the experience is um, i'm replaying metal gear solid 5 right now and that game does have some of the like big map markers all over it thing but most of the missions kind of give you an area where you need to go and then you kind of have to figure it out um, by capturing people and interrogating them by finding intel and things like that um, so I think there is something to be said for how excited like how fun it can be to to figure things out yourself and not always have it handed to you and I think a big part of the Elden Ring response is because of that and that's like super exciting. That's, it's very cool. So I don't know. I, I'm so tempted. I've been watching streams and I've really been into it. I've really been like watching a lot of content about Elden Ring and like, I want, I want to think I would get into it. Maybe I would enjoy doing like, uh, like a magic or a, like a, like a archer type class or doing something like that. I don't know. I, I'm probably not going to pull the trigger anytime soon, but um, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on it and seeing if maybe they do. Uh, the The ideal situation would be like in six months if they put it on Game Pass or something like that. Um, I, I think there, there's some reason to believe it wouldn't surprise me if some of the this new Spartacus PlayStation 
a game pass competitor that's being talked about that i wouldn't be surprised if maybe it ends up on there but we'll have to wait and see the second story I have here is Bioware gives updates on Dragon Age 4 in the next Mass Effect. Uh, so in a blog, Gary McKay, um, who's like the head of Bioware, uh, gave some fairly um, significant uh, updates um, about Dragon Age 4 and a small blurb about Mass Effect. So for Dragon Age 4, um, they started off with like a pretty detailed um description of how games are made um now they they basically knocked it down to games start in conceptual phases and then in that they move into pre-production where they're testing out mechanics and gameplay and and things that they want to do and once they have a blueprint and they they know what they can do then they move into full production where they bring in a big giant team uh hundreds of people and they start doing the thing that they conceptualize and and, and pre-produced uh, and they do it on a large scale for a whole game and then the game comes out um and so uh, Gary gave the update that Dragon Age 4 is in the middle of that production stage. So they're out of concept, they're out of pre-production, and they've been in full production for half of the time that they expected. Um, I'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, the Possibly the biggest news, though, is that Christian Daly, who is the lead producer on the game, is leaving, uh, but is being replaced by Bioware veterans, including Mac Walters, who just released a very impressive and successful Mass Effect Legendary Edition. As for the Mass Effect news, um, they uh, reiterated that it's still being led by Mike Gamble. Um, it's currently in the conceptual and pre-production stages of development. Uh, and there's an emphasis on knowing gamers want these games soon, um, but also that they are focused on quality over speed of development with both of the games, Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Um, so kind of my thoughts or some things I gathered about Dragon Age 4, um, knowing that full production for games typically takes about three years, I would say is the average. Um, if it's saying that we're halfway through, um, then I, I would say that these estimates that people are throwing out that uh, Dragon Age 4 releases in summer or late 2023 is probably pretty accurate. Um, Jeff Grubb, who's a pretty well-known inside source for lots of gaming news, has been has been saying this pretty consistently, and I think that it's probably dead on. Um, and what that means is that around that time, probably shortly before, but maybe after, um, they'll start full production on Mass Effect. So um, I basically reached out to a few game devs I know uh, at Ubisoft, at Epic, and at a few other studios and said, hey, here's the hiring. You know, Here's some positions that you know the Mass Effect team is hiring for. Here's this statement about that they're in the conceptual stages. Like, what does that mean? Um, and basically the, the response I got was, um, you know, you, reproduction and conceptual stages are like the most fluid where you're, you're doing prototyping, you're, you're working on, you know, how to implement the story that they've probably already fairly detailed, 
obviously those things can change, you know, as time goes on. But um, at this point, they've probably kind of narrowed down the basic story they're trying to tell with this next game. So now they're trying to figure out ways to make the worlds fit what they're trying to do to make some game mechanics that are interesting and new to, you know, figure out how to do the stuff before they push it to the whole Bioware production team. And so um, one of the people I talked to actually said, you know, I, I this could come out as soon as 2024, probably late, late, late 2024, if they wrap up, um, if they start working on it sooner than Dragon Age 4 coming out. Bioware is a really big studio just because they have most of their people working on Dragon Age. In theory, you can start production on a game uh, with a smaller team and then grow it as people finish up what they're doing with Dragon Age. So take that for what it's worth. I think late 2024 is probably a, a bit, I as much as I would love that, because that's like two and a half years away, uh, I think that's probably a little, uh, uh, that, that's very optimistic. Um, my guess is that they will start full production after Dragon Age 4. I don't know, maybe give their devs a break, a bonus or something, some vacation time. Um, and, and my, I'm still betting on mid to late 2025 or even early 2026. It's not what I want, but it's what I'm betting on. Um, when I was talking to the devs, it was really interesting because um, the, the reason that one of them feels or the, the, the feeling I got with some of the follow-up questions I had is that part of the reason that it could come earlier than people think is because while Unreal 5 is going to be really expensive um, for these developers to make the games on because you know that they're going to have to pay a huge cut of the game sales. Um, so however much money they spend on making this game, the recouping that cost is going to take even longer because they're going to be um, having to pay Epic a big hunk of change um, for every copy sold. Um, but the reason that may be worth it is because Unreal in general is just an it's just an easy engine to work with, um, even though they're going to have to make their own like RPG systems and stuff more than likely down to the source code. They have experience doing that with Unreal 3 with the old Mass Effect games, and they're going to be able to um, use things like the metahuman system, at least for the humans in the game to make them unique and realistic and save them a lot of time from you know, designing every single detail of every single character in the game. And I'm even under the impression that they, that there may be a way for them to work with Epic to use that metahuman to work with the aliens in the game as well. You would think that aliens like the Asari um, would be able to use the metahuman system and then they would just basically tack on their head tentacle things. Um, yeah, that probably way oversimplifies how it works, but just throwing it out there. But basically it just sounds like even the way that like the lighting system works and the way that though you can build environments and stuff like that is just, it's very efficient. Um, and when you consider all of the issues they had with frostbite with animations and stuff like that, uh, there probably isn't an easier engine to work with when it comes to animations and stuff than unreal. So all of these things come together uh, that hopefully mean that rather than fighting the engine, they're trying to put this new Mass Effect game on, that it means that all, all of that time gets spent making new and creative gameplay and stories and environments and characters. But, you know, a guy can hope. Um, kind of, so, so that's exciting. Uh, for me, it's really cool to see them just, you know, pretty 
you know, we had the N7 Day announcement where they put out a big blog and some other info and the Mass Effect concept art or that poster. And then uh, in January, this uh, Gary uh, McKay put out another blog, like updating Dragon Age and Mass Effect, like mentioning them both. There's also the Star Wars game. And then again, now here in February, or yeah, there's another update. So they're staying up on it. It seems like they're trying to be responsive. It, um, it, it basically the the final thing he led with with the Dragon Age was that they do. It sounds like we'll start seeing, I assume, gameplay and more about the game and the story and stuff. Um, this this summer or late this year, my guess is we'll see something at E3. Um, and that's really exciting. So um, I'm excited for Dragon Age 4, not because I'm a big Dragon Age fan. I've played some Inquisition. I'm not super into it, but because um, obviously Dragon Age 4 is still going to be on Frostbite. So we won't really know how they're handling Unreal yet, but we will get to see just how how Bioware's doing. You know, when it comes to making a game that's solid and tells a good story, um, even if it's not a franchise I'm super into, I still think it will give some inclination to where Bioware's at. Um, I don't. I think even if Dragon Age 4 isn't great, I don't think Mass Effect's in danger. I suspect that EA has kind of given them the comfort of, like, at the very least, the Mass Effect game might be their, like, big test um, the Dragon Age 4 game, I suspect they it's it's known that it's had a lot of issues in development. Um, that it went from being like an MMO, like live service game, to now I think it's like a single player experience with no live service, um, which a lot of people applauded, me included, because I hope that they keep that philosophy with the Mass Effect game, that they don't try to make it more than it needs to be. Um, but yeah, I think this is all good news. Obviously, the producer leaving isn't great, but... Um, I think people need to be pretty chill about um, people moving studios right now. Um, as you've seen with the acquisitions that Sony and Microsoft are making, as well as um, Take-Two and these other companies, that also indicates there's a lot of money being invested in studios right now. And so you're having new studios crop up or existing studios starting to hire, and they're going to be throwing out big money to experienced well-known good developers and that means that developers are going to leave studios that they're at currently to go to new ones and then the studios they leave will get new people too so it's um th there's a lot of money being invested in gaming right now and you shouldn't be disheartened by seeing developers move around because it's kind of a nomadic job when you see developers be at one studio for more than 10 years it's kind of surprising right now um, and if anything, they're probably leaving money on the table to do or to work at a place maybe they really enjoy or just feel comfortable at. So um, and then the final note is that uh, with the concerns about the, the person leaving and stuff, um, Jeff Grubb has, I guess, been talking to a, a decent number of people at Bioware and they genuinely are really happy with where Dragon Age is at. Um, part of the reason this game is taking so long to come is because supposedly the developers are saying that um, Bioware and EA have made a real commitment to not pushing crunch really hard to letting, you know, these games be made in a healthy way for their employees, whether that's all PR or just, you know, a, a few people's experiences, who knows, but it seems like that's what's going on. And as much as I would love to have my new Mass Effect game in a year or two years, I would rather the people who made it not hate themselves or their job. Um, when you see interviews with people from Mass Effect 3, um, you see 
a lot of um, bad feelings that you can tell it was a hard experience for them beyond even the criticism of some of the decisions made um, that the way that they were treated as developers by Bioware and EA wasn't good and it caused a lot of them to leave now some of them are coming back for this new project but you know they probably lost a lot of people permanently um you know because of the issues of the past so i can wait another couple years if it means that people are going to be happy because my uh, feeling has always been that happy people make better games Okay, moving on to the Steam Desk release and reception. So if you don't know what this is, this is a Switch-like device. It looks like a Switch uh, made by Steam, um, the maker of uh, Counter-Strike and Half-Life, and uh, or by Valve, not Steam. Valve makes Steam. And um, it's essentially a handheld PC. The, the, the thing about it is, is that, uh, say a handheld like the Switch, is, is essentially a big phone. Um, it's, it's processor, it's CPU and GPU capabilities are based on mobile processors. Um, the unique thing about the Steam Deck uh, is that it's a full-fledged desktop processor. Now it's pared down, it's, it's been made custom for this situation. So it's, it's not like a big, like, you know, Ryzen 7, you know, 5900X or something, but it's a substantial processor and the GPU as well. It's, it's, it is a GPU in the system. Again, it's pared down, but, um, you know, what you have to realize is, you know, say the consoles like the PS5 and Series X or even your PC, you know, they, they have these, these components, this hardware that, um, is miniaturized to a point, but it has room, right? Because it needs to play games or in theory at 1440p at 4k at 60 FPS or 120 FPS or even more. And so they're, they're real beefy. The steam deck is like, it's like a seven inch screen that I think is maybe 1080p. Uh, if that so you can play games you know so so that the hardware doesn't have to be wild to still have really great results and so far it's getting those great results so generally they have very positive reviews by casual gamers and more serious pc enthusiasts um, i've seen like jeff grubb talk a lot about how great it is how much he loves it as a more casual pc person and then even like linus tech tips uh, did a whole video about it saying like yeah it's not like perfect it has some like unfinished issues and uh you know this this device isn't like the holy grail but it's pretty damn good and and that's the general feeling i've been getting about it um so yeah, so if you're interested, I mean, if you can get one for 400 bucks, it sounds like a great deal. They're, they will have a dock where you can play on a monitor if you want. I suspect that's not the best case scenario, but it's available. Um, and it runs an operating system. It's There's no reason why you can't put Windows on this thing. Um, I don't know why you would necessarily, but maybe there's reasons. It has all kinds of emulators and stuff born into it. Like, um, it seems like it's going to be pretty cool. So... Um, it's not something I'm interested in. Mobile gaming is not my thing, um, but it's something that sounds like it's going to be a great option for people. And it's going to be something that's a better option than streaming, you know, streaming games to your phone or to a handheld device. You know, this is hardware. The game is on that system and there's no, you're not dealing with lag or network interruptions or anything. It's, it's, it's hardware playing the game and that's, that's going to be the best case scenario for years and years and years, even as streaming gets better. And uh, the Steam Deck is only the first one. There, it's almost certain there's going to be more of them. So keep an eye out for that. 
Next story, talking a bit about Destiny 2, the Witch Queen. <laughs> I have on here, I typoed. I almost said the With Queen. Uh, the big new DLC for Destiny 2 has released. Um, I haven't paid a ton of attention to reviews and stuff on it, but I have watched a lot of people. I obviously follow a ton of people who are big Destiny fans, and it seems like Bungie has another banger. Um, it as far as I can tell, people are loving the new content. Um, I know people are kind of ramping up for the raid right now. The, the raid's not out yet, I believe, but uh, it is on its way. And people are enjoying the new content, the, the changes they've made to the gameplay and so on and so forth. And it just seems like a, another bungee success with Destiny. I, this, this falls squarely into the category of games I'm not a big fan of. I know many of you know me as a Division fan. Um, but you may not know that I've kind of been pretty honest about how I'm a Division fan despite the looter part of the game and definitely not because of it. I, I don't really like looter games um, that much. So uh, it's still fun to watch it from afar, though, and to see my friends be excited and happy and to see people getting pumped. It's, you know, games are cool and, and they're supposed to be fun and exciting, even if it's not a game you care about. And, um, in the more ga good games that are out there, it's the, you know, the, the, the high tide raises all ships or whatever. It's, you know, we're, we're in a really cool situation where all these good games are coming out from big to small studios. And all that does is ramp up the quality of all of the games from top to bottom. And that's really, really exciting. That's, that's very good. It's good for everyone. So, um, yeah. So, so there we go. So if you're a Destiny 2 fan, it looks like this is, this is worth jumping into. Second to last story here, the Call of Duty 2023 delayed. So it was revealed this week that plans um, to release the 2023 Call of Duty, so not this year but next, have, um, have been changed. And they're going to push it back a year. Um, what that means for this year's Call of Duty, which most people are expecting to be a sequel to the 2019 Modern Warfare game, um, it appears that this is going to be a, um, a, a, a you know, a, a longer lifed game than most Call of Duties that tend to have about one year of content. Um, this one looks like it's going to have to have two years and we'll see how they handle that. Um, it's assumed, uh, so there's been rumors that were Warzone is, uh, as we know it, going to end, and they're essentially going to release like a Warzone 2 with this new Modern Warfare, and um, we'll have to see what that means, really. I suspect it'll still basically just be a big update, but maybe pretty substantial, and um, I think this is a good thing. There's some speculation that this is happening um, because of the possible buyout by Xbox of Activision. Um, when those deals happen, until they're approved, there's some very very specific laws and rules that xbox can't dictate anything that activision does until the deal is done um in fact it's like it's like a huge deal that they can't and that they 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 can't they can't do that so we'll we'll have to see um you know maybe there is some people in the upper management like okay this is what xbox is going to want to do maybe we discuss this during the negotiations let's just go through with it and um or maybe the 2023 call of duty is in is in rough shape and they were going to do this either way i don't know but at the end of the day i have a pretty good feeling it's going to be good for the game in the long run but we'll have to wait and see and then the final story is obviously a pretty grim one um so 
uh, if you aren't aware or if you've been living under a rock, um, the, the Russian Federation has begun a full-scale war and invasion of Ukraine. Um, this has been a weird thing for me, um, I'm sure for everyone, uh, and I say that as someone who lives in the middle of the United States who, at least for the time being, is in no danger of anything. Um, it's, it's been a weird experience for me because as an adult, like I, you know, I'm, I'm 33. So, you know, I've lived a life of, you know, I was, I've been, I was alive during the entire 20 plus year occupation of Afghanistan, the extremely long and drawn out uh, conflict and, um, you know, occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and so like I've seen war, I've no friends who have gone to war, um, I come from a military family, which they're the, they're the ones who convinced me not to join the military because they didn't want, they saw what was going on. But, um, this has been especially hard for me because I think I'm old enough to like recognize that like those houses that are getting blown up, those streets that are getting torn up and, and destroyed, those schools that are getting knocked down. Um, these people who are evacuating, like, like there's real people behind all of this, just like me and my family. I, I see men uh, at train stations saying goodbye to their wives and daughters and they're all sobbing because they know they may never see their dad again because he's going to pick up a gun and fight for his country, for his livelihood, for his people, for his family. Um, and, you know, especially now having a daughter myself, this has been um, it's been hard because I, 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 I see these men fighting and I see fathers and I see sons and I see friends. Um, I see these cities being picked apart and destroyed and I see memories and, and history and culture. Um, I, I, I see people fighting who like have no issue with each other. They're, they're, you know, one side is being told by some fascist strongman that's in charge of them to go do this thing. And, you know, who's to say they even believe in it. I, I definitely am not asking for any sympathy for, you know, the Russian troops at this point. But, um, I, I, I think as a, as someone who's, you know, had some life experience and grown up a bit, um, I, I, this isn't just a black and white, good guys, bad guys thing, even though I think the motivation of the side invading is pretty clearly awful. Um, at the end of the day, these are a bunch of people fighting each other who really have no qualms with each other uh, beyond their duty. Um, and so, you know, I wish all the power to the Ukraine people and especially to their armed forces that they can hold off this invasion and push it back and, um, and, and really, you know, embarrass Putin on the world stage. And, and hopefully, you know, he doesn't go too far. If he does feel embarrassed, that's a concern. I think everyone should have, and that, you know, little strong men like him um, don't like being embarrassed. And it certainly doesn't seem like the campaign in Ukraine is going well. Um, at the end of the day, if they pour enough resources into it, Russia will win for whatever winning a war really means in these days. Um, but it's not pretty. And even if he pulls it off, it's not going to be without a lot of political capital being against them, which is good. So, you know, Good thoughts to all the people in Ukraine, all the citizens, all the people trying to escape, all the people abroad who are worried about their friends and family and homes. Um, it's it's uh, the gaming aspect of this has been a little bit interesting, and in, in one part for me, um, it, it's been interesting because I I don't um, 
Well, it's been interesting because there's been instances of of war footage happening that has then been revealed as being like Arma 3 simulator uh, footage and stuff like that. Um, and even for me personally, I've had this really weird, you know, gut check of like, I've escaped from Tarkov load onto my computer. I haven't played it in a couple months, but this is a game made by people who live in the Russian Federation. Um, if you play the game enough and you pay attention to their social media and hear the things they say and you see the things in the game, um, you know, the, the, the vague lore behind Tarkov is that these evil Westerners come in uh, and disrupt the peace in a Russian province that gets shut down and it turns into a bunch of Western PMCs um, trying to fight for survival against a bunch of uh, Russian PMCs. And they, they definitely lean pretty heavy into making the Russian side the good guys in, in the West, like these evil people. And not to say the West isn't evil. Like, I understand that there's plenty of qualms people have with, you know, the Western military and countries and democracies, democracies and stuff. But um, it's, a, it's just a weird game to see people play right now and stuff because the things, the situation in the fictional Tarkov uh, universe aren't all that different than the Donbass and some of the regions being uh, fought over here. Uh, and in general, you know, the aesthetic and the equipment being used and stuff is what's being used and fought with right now in, in Ukraine. So I, I have some pretty conflicted feelings about that stuff. I wasn't really playing the game anyways, so it doesn't really change much for me, but um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's, it's a weird time. And, I just, I hope for strength for everyone that's involved, either directly or uh, just as a world citizen like myself. All right, let's do some listener questions this week. The first set of questions is from M88 on Twitter. Uh, the first question is, would you play an XCOM style game based on the Division universe? This one's interesting because they kind of had this as a mobile game um, and I think it lived for like a year and then I think it recently got shut down. I can't remember what it was called. Um, elite division or something like that. Uh, now it did have, um, factions from all over the Tom Clancy universe. It wasn't just the division, but the division was a pretty heavy focus on it. Um, and it, I heard good things about it, but apparently it, you know, it's, it's really hard these days to make a, a, a mobile game fail. Um, if people think that the numbers that, um, traditional like console and pc based games that they're making lots of money um you know most gaming media typical or general gaming media doesn't pay much attention to mobile but mobile is wild they are making so much money over there um and and it's why you see there there's whole studios who are dedicating themselves and 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 publishers who are really dedicated to mobile, even though quote unquote true gamers don't like it and don't care about it. It's where the money is, man, like it or not. And, um, uh, it was surprising to see that game fail. So I'd be interested. I haven't played the other XCOM games. I've, I've seen them be played. I've watched them streamed. Um, it, I like strategy games. I just never have really uh, gone all the way to, um, to play them. Uh, so maybe I need to relieve that. Or maybe if they made a division one, it would give me that kick in the butt to do it. Next question, uh, from M88, uh, if someone, uh, would buy Ubisoft, who would be your pick? Um, well, you know, it, 
there's a part of me that I'm an Xbox guy. I don't have anything against PlayStation. It's just I prefer Xbox. Um, so I guess I wouldn't hate that. Um, th- there is an argument to be made, though, that like Sony isn't the worst if they were to do it. I don't think they should or could. Um, but the way that they're handling the Bungie acquisition with allowing games to remain where they are uh, is pretty cool. Well, And supposedly new IP will be the same way. Um, so maybe them. I can tell you I sure as heck would rather see Xbox or PlayStation by uh, Ubisoft than um, Tencent or or any of the other companies that have tried before or you know could possibly try in the future who are purely just so, just scooping up everything uh, for better or worse. Not to mention some of the issues with where the money's coming from and where those companies are based and so on and so forth. So. Um, yeah, I mean, Xbox or PlayStation seems like they would both work because I think at this point we may run into a situation where neither one of them may make their games exclusive. I don't know. We're in weird times right now, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, next question from MAD8 is, does PvP really matter in open world games? It sure doesn't seem like it, you know. Uh, I know people want it to. I know there's a pretty minuscule but very passionate um, PVP player base for the division. I'm, I'm even aware that there's a fairly passionate and extremely small number of people who are really into like breakpoint and wildlands PVP. Um, you know, but then you have games like Warframe that literally just stopped developing their PVP. They had it. And and I don't know if they've completely gotten rid of it yet or not. I haven't paid attention to Warframe in a while. Um, but it doesn't really seem like that's, um, it just doesn't seem like it works, especially like looter type games. Um, I, I know destiny has PVP that it seems like a, a larger number of people enjoy, but I, I, do we really consider like, I don't know, is destiny really an open world game? Um, it, to me, it is more of like a bunch of really large, not open world levels that you play on, uh, in destiny. Um, but you know, that maybe that's not accurate. Maybe it is, um, I would say that it's proven over time that it's definitely not essential. Uh, I think it's proven over time that, you know, the best open world games. Now we have Elden Ring, Horizon, even calling back to, you know, my Metal Gear Solid 5, which I know had some online component, but, you know, it was mostly a single player game um, that was open world. It really seems like, it seems like if it, if, if multiplayer hurts the single player experience at all, whether it's the amount of content or the balance or whatever, then it's only bad. If they, if they can implement multiplayer PVP into an open world game and it not hurt the single player part of the game at all, then sure, it's great. But it seems like that isn't the case and that definitely hasn't been the case with The Division, at least in my opinion. So, no. I don't think it really matters. I think it can it can only help in the right in the perfect circumstances. And then the final isn't really a question, but just a statement of I'm still waiting for the Division Three announcement. You will be waiting a very long time. I am extremely confident of that for reasons I can't publicly disclose. Um, I think the very soonest a Division Three would even begin, like conceptual stages or pre-production, would be like when star Wars comes out and I don't expect that to happen until 2024, 
probably, which means no division three for like five or six years, probably that's my conservative estimate. And, um, the, the one thing is specifically people who I've seen being like, yeah, I, I heard that massive is, has a secret team working on division three. They don't, I promise you, they don't. There might be a couple people who are working on some story stuff or conceptual stuff just to have it ready. Um, but they literally, they're working on two gigantic AAA license games. They're working on a AA game that they haven't announced yet. They're working on the Division 2 still with a really small team that's leading another team. Um, they have a whole team dedicated just to Snowdrop because Ubisoft is starting to use Snowdrop the way that EA used Frostbite. Um, they, they, there is no, there's no one at massive to work on division three. And as far as I know, um, that game hasn't been given to like another studio and I'm going to be straight up after what we saw happen to ghost recon, when it got taken away from red storm, I don't think anyone should want another studio to take the division for all of the ups and downs of the division one and two. I don't believe there's a studio at Ubisoft that could do better with it. So that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm biased because I like Massive, but I'm pretty confident about that opinion. Uh, two questions here from Master Prime on Twitter. Um, can hype be bad for a game and how bad is nostalgia for the gaming industry? Um, I think hype is terrible for games. I, I think... Um, I, I think that we can look at cyberpunk as a big example of that as a game that isn't a bad game, but came nowhere near the hype that was generated for it, both by CDPR and by the community following the game. Um, even the division, I think is a franchise that fell into this trap. The division one had crazy hype. I think the division two hype was a little more measured, but division one, I mean, we thought we were going to get this revolutionary open world experience, which I think we, we did eventually, um, but definitely not to the level that we thought we were going to get that first trailer from 2013. Everyone still, still references. We never got that game and we still haven't. And, um, from my, the previous question from MAD eight, that division three, when that comes one day, if it comes, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see like a soft reboot of the type of game it is. Um, maybe it's still a looter, maybe it's not, but it's probably going to be a lot different. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Division 3, or whatever it would be called, is going to resemble what we initially expected from the first game a lot more. But, um, and, and part of the reason I say that is that if you take the Division 1 and you look at the stuff they added for Division 2, it's a lot of the stuff that we thought we were going to get in the division one. They, 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 they more fully realized that initial hype, um, not perfectly mind you, but they definitely took more steps in that direction. So, and then the second part, how bad is nostalgia for the gaming industry? I mean, as a big division fan, uh, I think, I think division two has a lot of issues. Uh, I still think it's a really good game. And I think, uh, and I've seen, you know, people who should be bigger fans of that game who are just stuck on division one. And, and it's even when there's things that I think are objectively better than division one in division two, you'll still, you'll see people like talking. I mean, you see people still playing survival. That's a game mode that has not been updated since it came out and it's cool and it's different, but it's not that great, but there's a lot of nostalgia there. And it's still nostalgia, even if you're currently playing, right? Like 
but I really think that nostalgia not just with the division but with lots of games you you know people are looking back like this perfect dark game that's coming from xbox people have a lot of nostalgia for the old perfect dark game but this new game is probably gonna have barely anything to do with the old game right it's probably gonna be an entirely new experience just pushing forward that lore and that story and those characters but like it's not gonna play the same but people are gonna have this nostalgia even though they haven't gone back and played an n64 in 15 years they still remember what they think they played and how amazing it was. And if this new game doesn't surpass that, um, even for a game I harp on all the time now, Mass Effect, this next Mass Effect game that comes out, um, you know, it's, well, man, like it's going to have like, there's a big community issue right now with nostalgia, with people. There's some people who say that, you know, they, they don't need to try to rely on nostalgia for this next game. They they shouldn't have Shepard. They shouldn't have any of the OG crew from the trilogy. They should move on completely with all new stories and all new characters and everything. And then there's other people like myself who think that a game like Mass Effect and a lot of other legacy games that are struggling can like nostalgia is a powerful tool. Um, if if you know the next Mass Effect starts up and and, it, and, and the, the camera pans up and shows Commander Shepard's face, no matter what they do after that, and they have the song Vigil playing in the background, no matter what comes after that in that game, it's going to be so hype because it's the nostalgia of that is a big deal, but it has to be handled appropriately. Uh, third question or third person here with a question was Frost Fiction. It says, what do we see first, Heartland or Frontline? I, it's going to be Heartland. Uh, and then that's all I'm going to say. Heartland. Um, God, I don't even know if Frontline. I, I, <laughs> I mean, they canceled that that beta or whatever it was, the closed beta. Um, and we haven't heard anything else about it. Uh, how about how about X Defiant? <laughs> I, I kind of made a joking tweet about that uh, last week of what the heck's going on with X Defiant? They haven't made an update in a few months. Um, and because I'm under, you know, an agreement, I can't really talk about it, but I saw some public perception of it, of some stuff people saw that wasn't very good. And that, that game just frustrates me because it was so obviously supposed to be a division first person, like call of duty shooter or hero shooter. And some, some doofus somewhere was like, we need to add in ghost recon and splinter cell and whatever. And instead of just letting it be cool and letting it be like a cool division thing. But you know, it, as we've learned from Ubisoft over the last few years, if, if there isn't a, if, if they aren't crossing over, they don't know what they're doing. So unfortunately that's our, uh, that's our reality now. So yeah, but I think we see heartland first and probably by a country mile. Uh, some content updates. I do have a new Mass Effect video. Um, I have a video called Who is the Human? Where I talk about uh, who the human is in the teaser trailer from a couple years ago and why the armor they're wearing um, is, is probably a, a pretty telling about what's going to happen in the next game. So check that out on YouTube. Um, I, like I said before, I am playing Metal Gear Solid 5 right now um, out of some nostalgia, partially because it's a really, really good game. Um, and kicking some Russian ass kind of feels cathartic right now. Uh, and then finally, February, as exciting as it is for everyone playing games right now, it hasn't really been for me. 
Um, so I have been struggling a bit to jump on and stream. Um, but I am excited about Starfield and that next Call of Duty and Stalker 2, as well as like Redfall. And there's a few other like smaller games that are coming. I'm excited for too. So, you know, hopefully we get some new stuff out there that I can play and be excited about. Um, and, um, and that's it. That's, that's this episode. So, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, uh, especially on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. Um, please consider donating to my Extra Life 2022 campaign and check out the EchoCast and Bond Diesel merch. Uh, links for all of that are in the description or uh, the comments below or over on my Twitter. And uh, that's all I have. So until next time. I'm